Good morning and welcome to The Business Of. Today's topic is the business of Arizona's history. My guests are Kyle Mori, the Development Director, and Janie Adams, the Director of Outreach and History Engagement Coordinator for the Arizona Historical Society. But before we get started, I'd like to thank a few of our Executive Circle Catalyst members, such as Hello Alua Companies, Institute for Better Education, and Intuit. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Good morning, Kyle. Oh, good morning. And boy, that was a mouthful. You did it. You pulled it off. <laughs> the halua lua alone. <laughs> and good morning, Janie. How are you? I'm fine. How are you this morning? I'm having a great day. Good. Thanks so much. So go ahead and tell the listeners, you know, why and when was the Arizona Historical Society established? Oh, gosh. So the funny thing is about that date. So there are two dates associated with the Historical Society. Oh, okay. So um, a little a little timeline. Arizona becomes part of the United States in, in the 1840s, 1850s, depending on where you are in the state, right? We're still kind of solidifying oh, that that's border. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Gadsden Purchase kind of taxed Tucson to the bottom of the state. Right. So Arizona's kind of kicking around until 1863, and that's when Lincoln signs the Organic Act and makes Arizona an official separate territory of the United States, not part of New Mexico. Okay. And then 1864, we get approval from the territorial legislature to create a Pioneers Historical Society. And it takes them about 20 years to really do anything with that so you'll see a couple of dates you'll see 1864 you'll see a date in the 1880s I think that sometimes we go with the 1864 date to say that we're 150 years old Mm -hmm. but um I think it really depends on your interpretation of established. Right. Um, Either way, you've been around quite some time. (laughs) And I think this is a good start to show that not only do attorneys argue, but historians sometimes (laughs) have to argue over dates and facts. And and I love that about uh, the the history, that there are those facts that are out Mm -hmm. there, but there is that opportunity to kind of interpret interpret what what those facts are. And here we have two different dates that you could choose from for the start of our organization. Yeah, and as far as why, I think that a lot of historical societies, ours included, form because folks go, we're on the precipice of great change. Mm -hmm. And we need to do something to record our past, to remember those that came before us, and preserve it for the future. Exactly. Um, and, And that really drives the work that we do today. And we do that work in a much more inclusionary way. Mm-hmm. Historical societies of the past tended to be pretty exclusive. Sure. Um, for example, for ours, you had to have so much relation to such and such pioneer who had been here for okay. so long. Right. Uh, and that changed in the 70s where we really opened up our membership. So the why, I think, is kind of a human question, really. Why is it important to preserve our history? Right. And why is it important to to think about these things in the long term? Exactly. Actually, just the other day, I was saying to our new, fairly new, now I think it's you know eight months in or something, Michael Guyman, I was saying, you know, what photo do you want as far as the history books go? And so for our Copper Cactus Awards at the end of the show, I really want to have all the finalists and winners on the stage because that will be somewhat of a who's who of Tucson business with him in the middle of it, just because we need to document these legacy moments. So I love that your whole business is about 
capturing the history of it all. You know, it's interesting. The first conversation I had with Michael at the Tucson Chamber on the phone, he mentioned to me as he learned who we are and what we do Mm -hmm. that, you know, I am only a few feet away from an 1896 document that tells us of our incorporation as a chamber. And I don't think it should be sitting here at the chamber. Oh, right. <laughs> so I think we're having conversations with how can we uh, display that at uh, one of our museums, specifically oh, here in Tucson. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> so just interesting about that dialogue with business and with history and um, making sure that we're protecting that the best mm-hmm. that we can. And, and that, that was our first conversation. That's interesting. <laughs> and something I noticed on your website is your logo. You have that, you know, almost branded looking X. Tell us more about that. Gosh. Okay. So this is going to be a little bit of a pop quiz for our listeners. Um, Think back to maybe third grade, maybe fourth grade. Um, There is a mnemonic device to help us remember some of Arizona's really important economic drivers. So I'll give you a second maybe to think about that. (laughs) And so, yeah, right. (laughs) So one of those five C's of Arizona history is going to be copper. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's fascinating about copper is we used to teach it as an economic driver of the past. But now what we're seeing is a super high demand for copper, particularly copper coming out of Arizona's mines. And that's causing a little bit of controversy sure. um, in the news. But that X, the bug, as it's lovingly called, Mm. is the alchemical symbol for copper. So if you think back to your medieval history, the alchemists Uh. trying to turn lead into gold, they classified all of these different metals and different materials with alchemical symbols. So that X is is the one for copper. Oh, okay. I love that. And that's such a perfect part of Arizona's history. So it makes perfect sense. I love that. And so where actually are you located in Tucson? And are there other branches as well? Yeah, so we're located in Tucson right off of the university campus. We are on Park and Second. Big building. It's going to have like a pebble texture to the outside of the building. It's going to have that bug imprinted on it. Um, And then we've got other locations around the state. Uh, We've got a location in Tempe. We've got a location in Flagstaff and a location in Yuma. Oh, okay. And are there plans to expand or is there a reason for those locations to exist? Well, that's a good question. I would say the reason uh, for those, uh, uh, being a statewide agency, many don't know that not only are we a non-for-profit as a historical society and that we uh, tell many of our um, stories through the medium of museums, um, we are a state agency Mm. as well. And we have that opportunity then to tell the whole history of Arizona. And so those key locations, those are key you know, significant locations around the state where we can really engage that those local communities and really help tell the, the Arizona story and history and connect with the right people through that. Is there, do we have plans for expansion? I'm sure that there's always something in the works. <laughs> exactly. Where else we can will we stay help tuned. tell the story of <laughs> exactly. Arizona? And if not physical, <laughs> I mean, we're always looking to assist in classrooms or um, work with uh, with communities kind of outside of those major metropolitan areas to help them preserve their history um, because it's really about the preservation of an entire or at, you know as a historian I don't want to say an entire history it's impossible right. but as complete of a history mm-hmm. as we can so we've got partners all around the states different um, certified institutions that we work with um, to help 
really do a good job statewide thinking about how do we take something that is 150, 200 years old mm-hmm. and make it last another 200 years. Right. Golly, that sounds like a, a big responsibility, truly. <laughs> wow. So, and talk a bit, a bit more about your archives. Like, what exactly do you have and can the, how can the public see things? And talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so our archives really specialize in regional history. So, of course, Arizona history, um, but some history of northern Mexico, southern California, the western states, as it pertains to Arizona history, because those those state borders, those international borders have shifted a lot mm-hmm. over the last 250, 300 years. Our collection primarily focuses on kind of the territorial period of Arizona, but there's a lot of stuff in and around. And, and I used to work a lot with our students who would come to the museum, and I would always tell them, look, if it happened in the world, we probably have something related to it. It's not going to be dead on every time, mm-hmm. but we have something that'll get you closer to an interpretation of a historical event. And uh, right now, the way that folks can see those materials is you need to have an appointment, okay. but you can make an appointment with our archivists and you can see just about anything that you're interested in. There are only a couple of things that we can't show you um, because of, of legal reasons, mm. um, particularly pertaining to NAGPRA, the Native American Graves and Repatriation Act. Okay. Um, but we do have basically everything else you're allowed to come see. So you need to make an appointment during our regular business hours, which for library and archives are going to be Tuesday to Friday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Oh, very good. Actually, an old coworker and I went when we moved into our current offices at 212 East Broadway, which uh, were actually built in the 1920s as a grocery store. And so we wanted to see if there were photos. And we went and saw you and put on the white gloves, felt very <laughs> fancy. I was like, am I at Sotheby's today? But no, I felt very fancy. And we actually did indeed find some photos that we were pretty darn sure. The exteriors changed a little bit, but we were pretty darn sure that was our office many, many, many moons ago. So it was so cool to take that little you know, stroll down memory lane and just imagine how people were living back then. And yeah. it's really fascinating. And so about the, you were talking a little bit about students. So I'm sure you do have field trips. Tell us more about, you know, what teachers might want to consider and what, what happens when you go on a field trip to Arizona Historical Society. You know, uh, we were just chatting about this earlier bef- before coming on air, um, but I'm from Tucson. I've lived in Tucson my whole life, and I have vivid memories of coming to the Arizona History Museum as a fourth grader. Wow. So field trips are are definitely an option, always going to be an option. You know, we're happy to work with you if um, the cost of the field trip is prohibitive for whatever reason. Um, we're happy to work with teachers to work something out on that. Um, if a field trip is out of the question, you know, now that we have all of this wonderful Zoom technology and video conferencing technology. We have expert historians and expert educators who are more than happy to take time out of their day to talk Mm -hmm. with your students about anything that they're learning in the classroom or anything that you would like reinforced from your classroom education. That's a good idea. Or if you just want to put an Arizona spin on it, right? We uh, run this program called National History Day, and I have so many students who, you know, want to do their topic on, say, Pearl Harbor and I always have to scratch my head and go, well, why didn't you come to the museum? Our Tempe Museum has doors from the USS Arizona. Really? You can look at that. 
and, and really be immersed in that historical moment. So if teachers just want to kind of put an Arizona spin on what they're teaching in the classroom, we can do that too. That's fantastic. Are there any other educational resources that you have that you want to mention? Yeah, definitely. We have the I always get the name wrong. I think it's <laughs> I think it's Arizona History Digital Hub or maybe it's Digital Arizona History Hub. I'm not quite sure what the order of those words okay. are, but it's a page on our website uh-huh. and it's got anything you can imagine. It's got uh, printable activities, um, everything from I had custom origami paper made that you can print off so you can fold an origami frog that looks like a um, Colorado River toad. Um, We've got recipes. We've got how to do interviews with an elder. We've got information on how to do property research, if that's something you're interested in, Zoom backgrounds, all kinds of stuff. So if you have two minutes and want to get a dose of Arizona history or if you want to teach a week-long course on Arizona history. There are all kinds of materials available on our website. Right. We even have a museum in the box. Oh, what's that? Well, it's kind of exciting. I'll let Janie tell you a little bit more about it because I'm just learning about it myself. <laughs> okay. Being new to museum this position. Museum in a box. Yeah, so Museum in a Box is kind of an updated version of the Traveling Trunk program. Um, if, you've, if you've been a teacher in Tucson or Arizona for a long time, you know that we had a really robust Traveling Trunk program, but we really had to rethink that when we were like, ooh, can we bring high-touch things into the classroom oh, right now? Mm-hmm. Is that really smart? Mm-hmm. So we took that idea and thought, how, how else can we use primary sources, those documents that were created at the time of or, or um, reflecting on a t- the time of? Mm-hmm. How can we use those to teach students about Arizona history? So Museum in a Box is a leveled curriculum program so we've got K through two, three through five, and we're working on a middle school and a high school museum in a box. But it really uses Neat. those primary sources, takes those educational standards into consideration, and produces thematic lesson plans that you can use together or you can piece apart. Um, it's really got a lot of options for classroom activities that pertain to Arizona history and a topic that's relevant to your particular grade level. That's very cool. And I keep thinking when we're talking about field trips and whatnot and the educational aspect of things, I'm thinking of younger students, but truly being down the street from the University of Arizona, I would assume that you would have college students and professors check you out too. So what what have some of them used your resources for? Yeah, we have, uh, it's actually really funny that you bring that up. We have an extensive um, costume collection. Oh, you do? Of dresses dating back to the Civil War period. Just for viewing? Uh, they are in our basement, so you have to make, they're in our collection storage, so you have to make special arrangements to go see them, but we're happy to make those arrangements for you. And we've had students from Pima College Fashion School come and look at those pieces. We just did a special tour for history majors, really focusing on um, the history of Mexico and Arizona and those related histories. I think it's really important to have a conversation with teachers when you're developing a field trip program and go, what are you teaching? Mm -hmm. And how can we help you teach that? Instead of just going, well, here's what we've always done. Definitely. Um, really thinking about what do the kids need, what are the classroom needs, and how can we present that material. Um, and then way. for our lifelong learners, we have right. I'll I'll talk at length about this exhibition a little later. But we have this exhibition currently on display of lots of beautiful memorial quilts, kind of exploring the crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. And we have had so many quilting clubs 
come from all around the state to view oh. the quilts. We've had clubs from Patagonia, from Green Valley, from all these different places around the state to come see the quilts. And we'll spend, the curators and I will spend two hours with these quilters to examine these quilts and really have a conversation about not just Arizona history, but Arizona history from the last 30 years. Neat. Now, do you have samplers as well, or is that more of an East Coast thing when they would stitch the alphabet and that sort of thing? You know, I think we do have a couple of samplers. It's funny because so many folks came from the East Coast mm-hmm. and settled in Arizona, and so they brought a lot of those traditions with them. Right. Um, so samplers are just kind of, I think, I don't know who kind of came up with the idea for samplers, but I know that, like, you know, uh, the story is that you would, you know, stitch up this beautiful little sampler and then you would give it to your future mother-in-law and she would, you know, determine whether or not you were a good Worthy. mate for her son. Um, I don't know how true that is, but we do have a couple samplers. And and I think that, like, history is really fascinating because we have those, like, quote-unquote big-ticket items, right? Mm-hmm. We have um, the Earp gun. We have the Geronimo gun. We have uh, Emperor Maximilian's jewelry. We have all of these pieces that pertain to kind of the big figures in history. But then we have these other pieces that really speak to the everyday lived experience Mm -hmm. of of Arizonans from all walks of life. Right. Just the folklore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and those that is something that kind of has slipped through the cracks of the historical narrative. But there's this new generation, and I, I don't want to say new because this happened, you know, 30, 40 years ago, but there's these newer historians who are going, well, what about everyday people? Mm-hmm. What about the lived experiences? Sure. How do we find the records of people who maybe didn't keep a diary or maybe don't have extensive, like, military records for sure. us to pull from? How exactly. do we tell their stories? That's so interesting. If you're just now joining us, you're listening to Tucson Metro Chambers, The Business Of. I'm Heather Wolpern, and today's guests are Kyle Morey, the Development Director, and Janie Adams, the Director of Outreach and History Engagement Coordinator for the Arizona Historical Society. So do you have some upcoming events you want to mention to the public? We are always doing a little something uh, at not only our museum here in Tucson, but our museums all over the state. Um, Do you have annual events or just sort of variety? We do a variety of different things. So there are annual events, and then there are kind of these pop-up programs. Uh So where do I want to start? Let me start. <laughs> let me start with. Um, and then there are events that aren't that aren't necessarily open to the public, but that we're bringing in. A oh, definitely. Type of a group. For example, oh, I believe okay. we're hosting some of the Tucson Chamber events coming soon, and people don't realize that the museum is a wonderful place to host an event, host a wedding, host a, a reception. Oh, I didn't even think and, of that. Uh, that is a good. I think point we can fit some 750 people total in the museum. Perhaps I don't know what the actual number is, but we've My got goodness. conference room space. We have. Um, Do you have outdoor uh, spaces? Outdoor well? space oh, as nice. well. A uh, little courtyard uh, oh. area that is fun to go out and see and and uh, enjoy, as well as an auditorium um, that huh. can fit several hundred in there that we've done some events with. So the the right. museum is really open to the public for those kinds of opportunities uh, cool. as well. So, but the fun events. <laughs> let's right. get back to Janie. Yeah. So <laughs> I think when people think about museums, they think about exhibitions. Mm-hmm. So. Starting with um, an exhibition that's going to be opening in early October and is going to be running through late November. It's a very limited engagement, but it's an engagement that we are super, super proud of. We've done this for a number of years. Um, We will be displaying student artwork for Dia dos Muertos from elementary school students at Carillo Elementary School. 
Um, and, and the kids, they make these beautiful nichos, which are these little shadow boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they dedicate them to their ancestors that have passed on. Oh you get a lot of pets, which are, are precious. But yeah. sometimes you get some very serious ones. A couple years ago, we had a student um, dedicate their nicho to folks who had lost their lives at the um, El Paso shooting, at the Walmart oh. shooting, right? Oh. So um it's a really beautiful opportunity to come together as a community and grieve. And that's such an important cultural touchstone for, for us as Arizonans and Tucsons and really speaks to our, our Mexican heritage. So that's one that we're really excited about. I think it's going to be opening October 8th and it's going to close the week before Thanksgiving. Um, and then speaking of exhibition closings, we have two exhibitions, two temporary exhibitions that will be closing early next year. One of them kind of on a similar topic to the Dia de los Muertos um, student artwork is our exhibition Los Desconocidos, um, which is a showing of the entirety for the first time of the Migrant Quilt Project. Um, So the Migrant Quilt Project, there's this long, beautiful story associated with it. But the long and short is, is the Migrant Quilt Project uses um, kind of this empirical data from the coroner's office and transforms that data about migrant deaths in the Tucson sector, which is essentially the the entire Arizona border with Mexico, um, to create these beautiful memorial pieces where they reflect on and remember people who have lost their lives crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, This is a very different kind of exhibition for us at the Historical Society, but we are so proud Mm -hmm. to encourage folks to think about this con- to think about this historical event and to understand the roots of this event and to understand the ongoing impacts of this event on our community um, here in Arizona and then our sister communities in Mexico and then how they're they're interrelated. That's wonderful. Yeah. It is. I, I get to walk by it every day on my way to my office and I can't just walk right yeah. through it has without to be so stopping moving. for a moment. And it is. It's moving because it's about people. It's about real lives mm-hmm. and and it's about uh, um, connecting with that side of their story and exactly. seeing uh, what is happening to those who um, are trying to cross those borders and, um, and the deaths that have occurred. Mm-hmm. And it is touching. It's very moving. Right. Let's talk a little bit about how the public can become involved or help. What, what do you need from the public? <laughs> <laughs> Usually we have a membership or a, a volunteer program. Uh, we're in the process of retooling our volunteer program, but we're going to make a big grand announcement when we're ready to take on new volunteers. Um, so volunteering will be an option with the Historical Society. I know folks are always really excited to volunteer with us. Um, membership is a way that you can can support us and kind of stay in the loop about the things that we're doing. Uh, members get special access to certain events or certain materials from the Historical Society, so that's always really exciting. And I, I think just remembering remembering us as uh-huh. an institution, right? Um, if you've got a sat, we we always have wonderful air conditioning in the building. If you've got, if <laughs> you have a really good point July Saturday that exactly. you you know are looking and for something parking. to do, <laughs> yeah, and covered parking, um, and you know, a store as well. Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about what sort of items you have in your store? Oh gosh, the gift shop is one of those places where you find such amazing little treasures, and and we keep it stocked with um, history books both new and treasured 
Um, we have a, a great selection of, of historical books for purchase. Um, sometimes we have our large format photographs oh, that you can nice. purchase from the gift shop, which people are always really excited uh-huh. about. We have a, a wonderful collection of fine jewelry made by um, indigenous artisans of Arizona. Sometimes when we have a really special exhibition, we'll do a special gift shop setup where we've got um, specific materials related to that exhibition. So I think about a year ago, we did an exhibition called Ready to Launch Arizona's Place in Space. And we had all the wonderful NASA stickers and little like moon model builders. Uh Um, So there's a little bit for everyone. For your serious historians, we've got the monographs. Um, For kids and families, we have toys and picture books. There's a little bit for everyone. It's a fun gift shop. I bet. Now, what about if someone has an item, say either they've had it in their attic for ages or someone recently passed away and now they have this estate to deal with, (laughs) when should they either have something checked out by you and or donate to the Arizona Historical uh, society versus go to Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, when do you want to actually collect something from someone? Yeah, I think we're always looking to collect things that tell a compelling Arizona history story, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that um, one of the things that historical societies are kind of tasked with doing is separating the things that are antique uh-huh. from the things that have a really compelling story. Okay. Um, so if you have something and you think that it has this really compelling Arizona connection, um, you know, you can always reach out to our collections and archives team and, you know, they'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you about about the piece. Um, but we're really interested in collecting things that have that really beautiful Arizona connection and um, tell a super compelling story about our collective past. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of looking, as an outsider looking in, sorry, collections and uh, archives for maybe putting words in your mouth. <laughs> um, that's the thing that we're looking to do is tell those Arizona history stories. Neat. And are you looking for those items to be donated or do you ever purchase them? We do not purchase okay. items, no. Okay. So um, we really are invested in our community and mm-hmm. having conversations with our community sure. about what they think is valuable and preser- and worth preserving. Exactly. Now, what about if someone has something that, say, they really would love to check if something is authentic? Can ah. they come to you, or is that not quite your, your cup of tea? I, I think, unfortunately, not. Okay. Uh, we are a state agency, so gotcha. we don't do appraisals. Okay, good to know. Um, and and we don't, you know, we don't put a value on the object besides its historical value. Um, so if you have, you know, a really wonderful piece and, and maybe you're looking to sell it, maybe that's when you contact the folks <laughs> at Antiques Roadshow. Exactly. So uh, we probably don't have too much more time, but did you want to go ahead and mention uh, how you and your historical partners collaborate and benefit from each other before we wrap it up today? You know, I think before uh, we end, it would be great to talk about one other exhibit that we have because it's also got a timestamp on it. That's the yes. Barry Goldwater. Yeah, the Goldwater desk. So right now we have a full reconstruction, a perfect reconstruction of Senator Barry Goldwater's ham radio shack um, as it existed Wow! Um, right around the time of his passing. And what's fascinating to me, I, I don't know anything about ham radio. I'm not a ham radio enthusiast myself. Um, but what's fascinating to me about that radio is it was part of the military auxiliary radio system, mm-hmm. um, which is a 
an offshoot of kind of a collaboration between civilian amateur radio operators and the military to really build morale um, for soldiers at various engagements during the Cold War, um, particularly the Vietnam War. So it was used to connect families and soldiers. Oh. And so they could, have, you know, this is a time before cell phones, which right. is now unimaginable. Um, so this was how you would patch folks through to have, you know, a conversation with their loved ones. Oh. And the exhibition explores, I think a lot of us, when we think about Barry Goldwater, we think about his presidential campaign. We think about him as the father of, of modern conservatism. But he has this whole other side, and he has this other side that's really deeply rooted in the history of Arizona. Um, there's this story, I don't know how true it is, but there's a story that says that Barry Goldwater was present at the first wedding ever performed in the state of Arizona. He was like three years old. Oh. He was a ring bearer. Um, so his his history and our history as a state are very deeply interconnected, and the exhibition is really fascinating. That does sound very fascinating. Anything else you want to say before we wrap it up today? Oh, come and check it out. It's beautiful. It's it's a fun place to come and see. It's family friendly, mm-hmm. and uh, we would love to see you come and enjoy a day at the museum. Fantastic. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business Of. To learn more about the Arizona Historical Society, visit ArizonaHistoricalSociety.org. And in case you didn't catch this episode from the beginning or would like to listen to it again, visit our website or search for Tucson Metro Chambers, The Business Of, on your favorite podcast app. Would you like to be my guest or sponsor an episode? Email me at thebusinessof at tucsonchamber.org. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.